Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. Welcome to Came to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through Nancy Piercy's book, Finding Truth, Five Principles for Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. And we are on principle number four. So we've worked our way through principle one, identify the idol. Principle two, identify the idol's reductionism. Principle three, then to test the idol against the world to see if it contradicts what we know about the world. And now principle number four, we're working our way through test the idol um, against itself to see if it contradicts itself. And so uh, uh, Professor Piercy has been explaining to us that uh, non-biblical worldviews contradict themselves because they because of the inherent reductionism that they do. Since they don't worship the true and the living God or have the true and the living God as their ultimate reality, uh, they have to reduce things, right, and put them in a particular box, and, and, and therefore things stick out, and those things that are sticking out allow for contradictions, right? And so that's what we've been working our way through here, this chapter four on contradictions and self-refutation of uh, worldviews. It's called Why Worldviews Commit Suicide. Why they destroy themselves, and uh, so that's what she's been helping us with. We uh, we finished up last time talking about um, this uh, uh, two things. First of all, how uh, non-biblical worldviews attempt to exempt themselves from their own critiques. Right, everybody else is wrong, but somehow I can see I have a great perspective. You're just so great, Tony. I just want you to know that's that. That's right. <laughs> but everybody else, right? Right. <laughs> and she lists, uh, you know, the the usual suspects, uh, Marx, Nietzsche, Freud, and uh, Skinner, you know, as folks who, who do this these particular critiques. She says, anytime that a truth claim says that truth claims are nothing but X in your, you know, um, truth-finding meter should go on, right? right. And say, okay, is your, is your truth claim X as well, right? And so that's what she was getting at. Uh, and then we ended up with her, her list here of about six or seven things that she suggests that we have to have, we, you know, we have to believe in order to function from day to day. We have to assume things like the material world is, is, is real. We have to assume that, right? It's nothing that, um, as the, uh, Logical positivists wanted us to say, uh, we, there's no experiment that we can really do, right? Because it could still all be in our head. Right. It can still all be um, that the universe works by cause and effect, that um, mathematical truths hold universally, that memories are basically reliable. We have to assume that, right, in order to, to um, do science, that other people have minds, that the laws of logic are valid. And we have to assume the basic reliability of human cognition. So in order to function in the world, these are, if we have to assume something in order to function in the world, she tells us, that means that it is part of general revelation. It's part of the created order. Which everyone has access to. Everyone has access to, exactly. In fact, she says that C.S. Lewis unmasks materialism. Uh, she says, to practice the skill of uh, detecting self-referential absurdity, that's this idea of the, uh, you know, as we've been speaking about, worldviews committing suicide, right, when you apply them to themselves. She says, let's dissect a few more examples. Uh, because materialism or naturalism is the unquestioned assumption in much of academia, 
let's begin with materialism, right? He claims that my thoughts are products of physical events, neurons firing in my brain, these physical events, that's all thoughts are, right? They're the product of these physical events. Materialism claims that um, um, these thoughts are like this. And so what does this mean, she asks us, right? Uh, it means, she says, that when I ca uh, calculate that 5 plus 7 equals 12, or when I perceive a red ro rose, or when I judge that torturing people is evil, what is really happening is that my brain is doing physical things like producing chemical reactions and causing neurons to fire. That's what's really going on, says materialism, right? So there is, so these things then are just physical events that are happening in the world, in this case, in my, the, the location of my brain. So she says, a case in point, a recent book, Expounding Materialism, claims that ideas are physical states of matter within our brains. That's what ideas are, physical states of matter in our brains. Thus, the thought process is a series of brain states, right? It's various patterns of neurons that are firing in different ways, right? It's a series of physical uh, conflagrations of matter, each causing the next in accordance with the deterministic laws that govern the interaction of physical objects, right? So like all the physical laws, it's just part of the physical laws. Um, she says the problem is that digestion, for instance, is not something that can be true or false, right? In other words, if it's just physical things that are happening in our brain, right? It's akin to all the physical things that are happening in our body, right. like digestion. Yeah, breathing. Right? Yeah, right? And of course, you know, digestion is not something that can be true or false. It's just a biological fact. Right. right? I mean, it's, it's not saying, am I digesting food? It's saying digesting food is yeah. a physical process. So right. uh, uh, her torturing people is evil. Yep. That's just a, that's just a thing. Physical process <laughs> that's going on in my brain. Oh, and uh, that's all it is. That whole idea is all, that's all that that idea is, right? Just like digestion is digestion. That's just it, right? It's something uh, that can't be true or false, right? So if our thoughts are also biological facts determined by biological laws, then they're not the sort of thing that can be true or false. Right. So uh, you can never be wrong. Look at that. You're always yeah. right. Well, no, you can't or always right. be right either. Yeah, you you're, can't be wrong or right. You're just always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now notice, she asked, but does this include our thoughts about materialism? Right. So she's she she's, says, she's attempting to apply it to herself or to, to itself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And so when we do that, it undercuts the, its claim to truth. When the implications of materialism are applied to excel, itself, she says, it commits suicide, right? So if, if my thoughts are only neurons firing in my brain in certain patterns and that sort of thing, then my thoughts about materialism are the same thing. And therefore, how do I know that materialism exists, is true, or is anything? Right. You, you right? couldn't even say that's true because it's not a, it's not a truth statement. It's a brain state. Yeah, yes, just yeah, exactly. It's a brain state. It's yeah. not a truth state. Yeah. Good. She says, C.S. Lewis makes a similar argument in several of his writings. Here's an example. And she quotes him here. She says, if minds are wholly dependent on brains and brains on biochemistry and biochemistry in the long run on the meaningless flux of the atoms, 
I can understand how the thought of those minds should have any more significance than the sound of the wind in the trees. <laughs> he says, Lewis then uh, shows how this view defeats itself. Quote, but if I can't trust my own thinking, of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything that's else. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah, he's unable uh, to act. That's right. So how do atheism and materialism avoid uh, this self-refuting conclusion? Well, Lewis calls it a tacit exception, <laughs> right? All everybody else except me, right, is right. I'm the only one that can see from the God's eye view. Although um, for materialist God it doesn't exist, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for their own theory, they they have a tacit exception, right? At the moment, anyway, that they're stating their claim. In building that case, they must implicitly trust that their own thinking is correct or true, right? They must exempt themselves from their own reductionistic categories of analysis, as one philosopher says. She mentions. The materialist functions as though he were an angelic observer, somehow able to float above the deterministic cage in which he locks everyone else in. Right? <laughs> so, in essence, material must tacitly assume a Christian epistemology, that is, a Christian view of knowledge, how we know things, uh, right? Or at least when they're arguing for their claims. Indeed, the sheer act of asserting materialism contradicts itself. How is that? How can how just the asserting that I'm a materialist? Yeah. How does that contradict itself? Well, she gives us several reasons. She says, if everything that exists is material, is that statement itself material, or is it merely a series of sound waves? Right. That is, I mean, or I mean, that's what they'd have to say, right? right? That statement right. is mere, a mere uh, series of sound waves. If I write out the statement, um, is it nothing but marks on a piece of paper? Of course not. The statement has linguistic meaning, it has logical properties, it has social function, right, communicating the others, all of which transcend the material dimension. Right. right? And so ironically, materialism cannot even be stated, she says, without refuting itself. Because humans are whole and integrated beings, we should expect our thoughts to be accompanied by physical events in the brain. Of course, that's true. Mm -hmm. But if we reduce thought processes to brain processes only, the result is a logical contradiction. Right. right. So the reductionist tries to, to try to take this part and make it the whole, where it's, it's just a part. Because, yeah. And, and, and they themselves, uh, even though they're, they, they wouldn't want to say it because it undercuts their, their foundational belief, they too then believe that because by asserting it, they are trying to convince you that uh, materialism is the way to go. There's only material right. things. That's not material. What you just said, it, it's material in the in the sense in in, in one sense that uh, you're using your vocal cords to vibrate. Uh, you know the the air and uh, your your brain is is having uh, a, a neurological response. My ears are are are, are uh, you know the, vibrations and right. the, the so yeah, so yeah all, all that is true. All that is physical. What is the ultimate end for for somebody saying? But it's more than physical. You right. can't just reduce it down to physical, right. right? It has meaning. It has you know properties other than physical. It has logical properties and communication functions and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's more than just physical. So you can't do that reductionism right. without being yeah. inconsistent. That is contradictory. Yeah, or you 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 have some means by which to 
to have it be a this kind of mayor nar- narrative or or something like that. And there you're yeah. getting into a different into a different function Angelic, that isn't. You're the angelic observer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so an, another uh, um, a theory that uh, is is usually produced is uh, evolutionary epistemology. So again, epistemology is our theory of knowledge how, how we how we know things. A naturalistic approach that applies evolution to the process of knowing. The theory proposes that the human mind is a product of natural selection. So, uh, you know, you 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 have uh, a million different species uh, from you, and at some point, uh, you know, th- th- there's a, a. I don't even know how to reduce the mind to 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 something less mindless. So so mind n minus one it would be you know your your ancestors, and then all of a sudden, poof, you 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 have your 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 mind state, I guess. Uh, so the human mind is, a, is this product of natural selection. We're selected for survival, but not for truth value. So again, uh, th- this is uh, uh, kind of Dawkins' point, um, especially in the God delusion, is that um, mm-hmm. that uh, that w- whatever whatever is produced is is by necessity a a uh, a value for survival. Uh, obviously, he doesn't apply this to, to religion. Uh, uh, currently, he he wants to apply it to back then, whatever back then is. Um, but, uh, but, um, the, this, this evolutionary epistemology says that, uh, you know, the human mind is a product of natural selection. So it's for survival. Well, if it's a product of natural selection and everything is, is, is geared toward, uh, survival. Right. Right. That's, that's the basic idea. Right. The survival of the fittest kind of thing. Right. right. And so everything is geared toward survival. And so minds were selected for notice that even our minds were selected for their survival value, right? So that's all that that they're there for, right? And not what? Not for truth, right? Not for truth, right? Yeah. So, so, and I've used this example before: is uh, uh, that you're 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 out mowing your lawn and you see uh, the wind kind of shake the 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 tall grass, and you're oh, that's a snake out there. I better I better stay away. Well, okay, that's not that's not true. Uh, it's just the wind going through it. But you reacted in such a way because. Uh, you know, your, your 20th degree ancestor, um, uh, survived because they thought that, um, there was snakes in grass rather than, uh, thinking there weren't snakes because then they were able to survive. And so you have this through the lineage, you're, you're always thinking there's snakes in the grass. Uh, so it's not, it's, it may not be true, but it helps you in, to survive. survival. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So, so let's apply this then to. Uh, itself, uh, it this when it when it when we do that when we say that uh, uh, evolutionary epistemology is true, uh, is that then a uh, a product of natural selection and uh, or a product of for survival value and not a truth claim? Well, then if so, it, it discredits its own truth. Evolutionary epistemology then commits suicide because you can't say it's true. All you can say it's good is for that survival. It's, uh, yeah, 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 it's good for survival. Right. Yeah, you can't say that it's true because you know how do we know? How would we even know that? Right. Right. And and, and how how do you how do you check it? How do you how do you evaluate two different competing theories? You, you'd you'd have to say every check every check would be a result of being selected for survival. Right. Of that. Right. And and right? it's only for you as that organism. It's not. Uh, it's you, you can't even really talk about a, a, a general species. We can't say. Uh, uh, all humans should have this uh, uh, this survival aspect of uh, evolutionary epistemology because maybe for me, my my survival is taking a different evolutionary approach, and so I, I shouldn't hold this 
it it would be uh, not necessarily wrong, but would not be advantageous to my survival. Is is what it uh, what right. two competing theories words, would be? In other words, if I drop the rock, I believe it's going to fall. Well, that may or may not be true. That belief is a result of survival value. I, I don't know whether or not that's true. Right. All I know is. It, it's good for me to have that belief in order so that I can survive. Right. right? Uh, and so every, all of my beliefs, all of my minds were selected for survival and not necessarily for truth. Now they may be true. They may be true. Right. But we don't know. That. Right. By coincidence. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and so survival value becomes king. And of course, then the theory of itself, evolutionary epistemology was selected for survival value. And so we can't know whether it's true. Right. It's just, it's helpful to our survival somehow. I don't know how, but uh, we'll, we'll know in the future. So uh, uh, Francis Crick, um, uh, very famous, uh, um, would, would uh, go on to write, our highly developed brains, after all, were not evolved under the pressure of discovering scientific truth, but only to enable us to be clever enough to survive. But that means go. Crick's own theory is not a scientific truth, applies to itself, uh, the theory commits suicide. So sorry, Crick, your theory was is only devised so that uh, we're clever enough to survive. Right. right? It's not a. It's not um, you know a truth. Uh, <laughs> Eric Brom says sometimes you are more likely to survive and uh, propagate if you believe a falsehood than if you believe the truth. And so actually uh, trying to get other people to believe uh, th- things that aren't uh, that that may that may be true but not advantageous to the survival would be, uh, I, I don't know, necessarily immoral, but it would be uh, 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 disadvantaged them to surviving. Yeah. Or, so, yeah, so, or so, so trying to communicate any new idea to anybody uh, could potentially lead them to their ultimate death and their cutting off of, of their, their continuing the species. So we should stop yeah. all conversation. Or, you know, uh, if, uh, even if it's false, if it contributes to survival value, it's a good thing, right? Right. <clears throat> uh, we can never know which ideas are true and which are adaptive but false. Uh, to make the dilemma even more puzzling, evolutionists tells us that natural selection has produced all sorts of false concepts in the human mind. And uh, <laughs> and that's that's definitely true. Um all, all, all these false ideas were selected for their survival. So how can we know whether the theory of evolution itself is one of those false ideas? Again, the theory undercuts itself. Um, uh, is, it, is it true or is it adaptive but false? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Right, right. It, it, and it's not just this, the, these lower level, you know, snake in the grass, rock falls. Uh, it's, it's, it's everything. Everything, yeah. it, it, this is a, an attempt to explain Every um, every truth claim, and that's this this evolutionary epistemology. Uh, a few thinkers, to their credit, recognize the problem. Uh, Leon Westerly Westier uh, writes: If reason is a product of natural selection, then how much confidence can we have in rational argument for natural selection? Evolutionary biology cannot invoke the power of reason, even as it destroys it. Oops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thomas Nagel, who we talked about before, said, is is the evolutionary hypothesis really compatible with the continued confidence in reason as a source of knowledge? His answer is no. I have to be able to believe 
that I follow the rules of logic because they are correct, not merely because I'm biologically programmed to do so. Hence, insofar as the evolutionary hypothesis itself depends on reason, it would be self-undermining. So we don't well, even these <laughs> folks, even Nagel, who is an atheist, recognizes the problem. Right, right. And, and he, acknowledges it. He he would want to be the first one to say, Yep, this this is the case. But he also wants <laughs> to be correct and have an argument and and believe true things and wants to believe the most amount of true things. And so he he just doesn't want to survive. He wants to know truth. And this is the only way to do so. So she's uh, this next section is is entitled uh, Darwin's Selective Skepticism. She says that people are sometimes under the impression that Darwin himself recognized this problem, right? They typically cite Darwin's famous horde doubt passage where he questions whether the human mind can be trustworthy if it's a product of evolution. Quote, with me, the horde doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or all or at all trustworthy. But of course, Darwin's theory uh, itself was a conviction of man's mind. So why should it be at all trustworthy? Surprisingly, Darwin never confronted this in, uh, you know, in, in, um, internal contradiction to his own theory. He was right. applying that to creationism. Right? <laughs> and so uh, he never applied it to his own theory. Why not? Well, because she says that he uh, expressed his horror doubt selectively, only when considering the case for a creator. From time to time, Darwin admitted that he still found the idea of God persuasive. He once confessed in his inward conviction, quote, that the universe is not the result of chance. That was his inward conviction. Uh, conviction. It was in the, in the next sentence that he expressed his horror uh, doubt. So the convictions he mistrust was his lingering conviction that the universe is not the result of chance. Right. That's what he rejected as a horrid doubt that he should mistrust, right? In another passage, he, has missed, he, uh, he admits, I feel compelled to look at, uh, to a first cause, having an intelligent mind in some degree analogous to that of man. Again, however, he immediately veered off into skepticism. But then arises the doubt. Can the mind of man, which has, as I fully believe, been developed from a mind as low, uh, a mind as low as that possessed by the lowest animals, be trusted when it draws such grand conclusions? Right. But not about his theory, right. but right. about a creator. Yeah. Right? So he always applies it to creationism. He never applies it to his particular theory. Right. So, and, and, and that's been restated many, many times by many different prominent uh, theorists, you know, uh, um, people would say, you know, okay, even if there is a God, he's so far above us that our, our monkey minds could not even possibly grasp what he could uh, possibly give us uh, to, to understand, um, uh, you know, because we're so low, but we're never so low enough to even question whether or not we're, you know, uh, just the, uh, this, this product of, of evolution or, or any of our larger truth claims like, uh, you know, what is my purpose in the world or, 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 or things like that. It's, it's always, it's always a, a, um, a, a, an appeal to say we can't even know very top things, but I mean, evolutionary theory is also a top claim, right? Anything that's not <laughs> just uh, mate, survive, uh, eat, uh, shelter, uh, food, water, you know, all, all that stuff, a anything above those things are high and lofty goals that we shouldn't even be concerned about because, you know, that, we, we can't even know, you know, what justice is or, 
or, or what morality is. So we, we shouldn't even be asking those questions. Yeah. 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 She says, um, Applied consistently, Darwinism undercuts not only itself, but also the entire scientific in- enterprise. Right? <laughs> Keenan Malik, a writer trained in neuro- uh, neurobiology, writes, if our cognitive capacities were simply evolved dispositions, there would be no way of knowing which of these capacities led to true beliefs and which to false ones. Thus... To view human, uh, humans as little more than sophisticated animals undermines confidence in the scientific method itself, right? Because we, can, we cannot know. So science itself is at stake. John Lennox, a uh, professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, writes that according to atheism, the mind that does science is the end product of a mindless, unguided process. Now, if you knew that your computer was the product of a mindless, unguided process, you wouldn't trust it. So to me, atheism undermines the rationality I need to do science at all. So it undermines science and the ability to do science, right? Mm-hmm. And um, of course, you know, atheism pursuing its research has no choice but to rely on rationality, just like everybody else does. But the point is that he has no philosophical basis for doing so, right? So notice, this is really a presuppositional argument, mm-hmm. right? In other words, what do you have to have in order to do science? What has to be the case in order for rationality? What has to be the case in order for truth to exist? Those are what we might call transcendental questions that come out of presuppositionalism. And the atheist has to believe that he can rationally think, believe that, you know, uh, morality is true and that sort of thing. And he's borrowing from a different worldview because his worldview doesn't allow for those things. And so the presuppositionist calls him on those things. Right. Ah, you can't do that, right? You're going further than what your worldview allows. You're cheating. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the reason, especially in science too, uh, you know, the, there's there's the 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 you're, you're driving down the road and and um, you expect to uh, get to the next rest stop before your ultimate destination. You you, you get to the McDonald's. You get to the, 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 the gas station, you get to, uh, the park to go for a walk and, and ultimately to your end. You, you, if, if you were to say, Oh, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, person in the driver's seat. It's just, it's just going, well, you wouldn't even trust getting to, you know, to the next mile marker, let alone to your ultimate end destination or any of those uh, destinations to get to your end destination. Well, you know, Elon Musk might argue with you. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's all it's all product of the neural net. Yeah. <laughs> she says the reason so few uh, atheists and materialists seem to recognize the problem is that like Darwin, they apply their skeptical uh, skepticism selectively to other theories and not their own. Right. They apply it to undercut only the ideas that they reject, especially ideas about God. They make a tacit exception for their own worldview commitments, right? Them and not me. <laughs> they were this, of course. I don't. Right? Right. I'm above that. Yeah, I'm skeptical. Yeah, <laughs> I'm skeptical, just not of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it's clear now why Christianity played a significant role in launching the scientific revolution. Uh, only a biblical worldview provides an adequate epistemology for science. First, a rational God created the world with an intelligible intelligible structure. And second, he created humans in his image. In the words of historian Richard Cohen, 
uh, science required the concept of a rational creator of all things, along with the corollary that we lesser rational beings might, by virtue of that godlike, godlike rationality, be able to decipher the laws of nature. So it assumes order. It uh, assumes the ability to know things. There are a lot of assumptions here uh, that 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 require. In order to do science. Yeah, in order to do science, uh, and 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 those are are qualities that the Christian worldview allows you to have the basis for. Where the other one, you just have to, by force of will or by uh, inconsistently. I mean that that's the big one. It, by inconsistently believing that. Um, it it undercuts uh, your your uh, itself your stated pre pre uh, presumptions there. Yeah, yeah. For early science, the Im- the image of God was not a dry doctrine which they gave merely cognitive asset, uh, not merely something to put private faith in. Um, they treated it as a public truth, the epistemological foundation for the entire scientific enterprise. Their goal, they said, was to think God's thoughts after Him, and uh, she has a lot of quotes um, um, in her. Um, in, in the back of the book that uh, that um, adds add to that about early scientists. And that's still today. A widely quoted essay by Eugene uh, Wigner is titled The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in Natural Science. Wigner asks why the mathematical formulas we devise in our head work so well in describing the external universe. The match between them is something bordering on the mysterious Indeed, there is no rational explanation for it. No explanation that is within scientific materialism. Yeah, I mean, you know, you come up with these 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 uh, uh, mathematical problems, and what makes you think that anything in your evolved, stupid brain that that is only there for survival should give you anything about the truth of, especially universal truth of the the known universe that that shouldn't be even be possible. Yeah. 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 So definitely, and, 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 and even if it is possible, how would we ever know it? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and should you place enough confidence to put yourself on uh, a, a a big rocket booster and, and shoot you off into space <laughs> with, with with those math numbers? No, that that's yes. that's insane. <laughs> yeah, you should never do that. But it mysteriously works. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, yeah. And, and and to assume that you can do it more than once too. You know. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, by contrast, uh, the the biblical view offers uh, a perfectly reasonable explanation for the effectiveness of mathematics, namely that it's uh, that a rational God created humans in His image to think His thoughts after Him, or have uh, at least have the ability to. In fact, looking at history, we find uh, a biblically inspired confidence in mathematics structure of the universe came first, before any actual scientific discoveries. Uh, Klein writes, early mathematicians were sure of the existence of mathematical laws underlying natural phenomena and persisted in search for them because they were convinced a priori uh, that uh, God had incorporated them in the structure, in the construction of the universe. So uh, it, again, it assumes order. Um, you know, uh, uh, pe- people, people go uh, based on discovery. Um, they, they, they kind of assume that they'll find something based on um, their, their, kind of pre-drawn conclusions and they go after and find that that's that's why um importance of 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 understanding what theory is in science is so important it's not just well let's just do a bunch of tests you 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 have this this theory of what you think you're going to get as as a result of observing phenomenon and and you know to 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 say that this phenomenon is repeatable or uh, uh observable or testable those are all those are all things that 
you can't do in a, a materialistic universe. You, you can't hold it consistently. You can just assume it because, but you can't, you can't have any confidence in it. There's no justification no. for it. Uh, okay. So uh, we're going to break here before we uh, uh, destroy postmodernism or uh, uh, <laughs> let, let uh, Professor Percy do it. And uh, we'll be back uh, next time. So uh, this is uh, episode uh, 72. So 73 will be our next one. So thanks for joining us. Yep. See you next time.